Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, both with Bama Online, and we're here to react to Alabama's 66-10 to victory over UT Chattanooga on Saturday. Jimmy, Obviously, this was uh, an expected result to some degree. Maybe I don't think anybody really had Alabama scoring 66 points, uh, even though we'll get into that in a minute. But I also don't think a whole lot of people expected Alabama to give up 10 points, at least not fans. Uh, so some interesting performances on both sides of the football. Overall, I thought it was a great game. Uh, this is kind of exactly what you want. But uh, kind of share your initial thoughts on their performance and how you think it helps Alabama moving forward? Well, it's what it's designed to be. I mean, when you set the schedule, when you create the schedule, this format has worked really well for Nick Saban and Alabama playing this uh, FCS opponent uh, near the very end of the season, if not the uh, game before Auburn. Uh, it, it's designed there, it's set there for a purpose. Uh, number one, uh, you get an opportunity to rest some guys who are beaten up and bruised. Uh, for the stretch drive, uh, and and that that's that's the number one purpose I think this game serves is not having to to play Deontay Lawson and in, in a Jalen Key. Uh, maybe they could have played uh, had it been you know Auburn or Georgia, but they didn't have to play. So so them and some others got either a, a break entirely and didn't have to play at all, or uh, or some starters didn't have to play full games and 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 fully expend all the energy it takes to play a 60-minute football game. So first of all, it serves that purpose, and it did. Uh, secondly, it's a win. Uh, you know, it doesn't hurt you in terms of, of accumulating wins. And third, uh, if if you can use the opportunity to improve your football team, do it. And I think to some extent Alabama did. Uh, I, I thought the way that you can improve playing against a lesser Im- opponent like this, Clint, is to uh, execute well. Execute well. Do everything that the play design is called for. Everyone do your job and be sound in your assignments because that's what's going to help come Auburn, come Georgia. So I thought Alabama executed really well on offense and executed really well on defense and got out of it injury-free, rested some guys, played a lot of players, gave some some good minutes to kids who haven't had the opportunity to play in the games. And uh, overall, I think it's just everything you want from a game like this. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, and you know, the 66 points, I pointed this out in the in my score prediction. I didn't have them coming close to 66. I think I'm trying to remember. Um, I had them scoring a touchdown. I think it was 52-7 was my okay. predicted final score. That sounds uh, right. I was at 56 to 7, and me and you are always very, very close. Yeah, yeah. We're never too far <laughs> off. Um, but the reason that I had them covering and felt pretty confident about it, even though I think it was a 44-and-a-half-point line. I had them winning by 45, so I barely had them covering. There was a part of me where it's like, okay, uh, Alabama's offense, you're still trying to get out of that mindset that they can sometimes still shoot themselves in the foot, and they can go maybe a drive or two or maybe an extended period of time from time to time. 
and not score points. And so, okay, you're like, that can limit the the high 50s, low 60s, apparently in this case, mid 60s, uh, but that you didn't see that as much on one end. And then also, and it's like I pointed out, the reason I had him covering is when the, the backup quarterback, he came in against Kentucky, Ty Simpson, and he continued to operate a normal offense. And they scored a touchdown at the end of that game after the backups came in. You look back to the MTSU game, Tyler Buckner came in and scored a touchdown on his drive. Ty Simpson came in later, scored a touchdown on his drive. So even though in some of these games where there's been blowouts, in some seasons you would see Alabama kind of call the dogs off a little bit. And I think to a certain extent you did see that. But A, the fact that they were dominant so early in this game and they took, uh, took such a commanding lead by the time they started working into their depth, there was still a lot of time left on the clock. And you're not going to, for a quarter and a half or you know close to two quarters, you're not going to just turn around and hand the football off every play. You're going to have to throw it a little bit. So I think that that played into it. But it was also, I, I think the coaching staff wanted to continue to build Ty Simpson's confidence. I think that if something ends up happening to Milrow, you want him to be ready now that you're hitting the Auburns, the Georgias, and potentially the college football playoff. Um, and so you want him better prepared, so you're allowing him to kind of throw the football around a little bit more than maybe you would in certain other games. And so I think it was just a a combination of several factors that led to 66 points. So even though, I mean, I certainly didn't see that many points coming, but I think the key reason for that was not because I didn't think they would continue to score at the end of the game, but it was more so the fact that I thought maybe Alabama's offense would be a little less efficient than it actually was. And to their credit, and part of that, it's the kickoff, it's the opponent, could have totally seen them coming out flat. And so you have to give them credit for coming out. It seemed like they were pretty focused out of the gate and ready to go. Yeah, they scored, uh, I think, more points in the first half than they had in any half all season long. So Alabama came out with the idea that they were going to end this early. And, uh, you know, look, look at UT Chattanooga. You know, it's really more about Alabama than it is about them in terms of you know, the overwhelming, you know, talent edge on the field. But I think one thing that's sort of interesting about that FCS opponent, Clint, is is you played a UT Chattanooga that's hopeful to get in the playoffs. I think that announcement was either yesterday or today. And to be honest, I don't keep up with the FCS playoff situation. But the announcement as to who was making the playoffs is, was after the, the, the game, the next day or two days after. And UT Chattanooga was hopeful they would get in. They, 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 they were maybe they're in, maybe they're not into the playoff. So assuming they were in, they didn't want to get super banged up in this game. They didn't want to come in to Alabama and get so beat up in the Alabama game that that they couldn't compete in what really matters to them, which is the FCS playoffs. If you played a team, Clint, who had no chance to make the FCS playoffs and and weren't going to make the playoffs and their season was over, maybe you're playing a a kamikaze-like team who's going to like give everything they had, play all 22 starters, all 60 minutes, do all that they could to make plays they'd remember for the rest of their lives and uh, and make a game of it. I think UT Chattanooga may have been more in the mode of, hey, we, we don't want our guys to get hurt before our playoffs. Uh, we appreciate the check, and, and we're getting out of here. So I think that that could be a factor too. But I appreciate that Alabama played with urgency in the first half and that we saw from, from Jalen Milrow and the offensive line some really nice push, some pristine protection, that allowed him plenty of time uh, to, to, to get to the deeper parts of the field. We saw two early throws to Jermaine Burton that were deep shots. 
I thought the first one was was good. The second one was really good. Uh, the first one, Burton had to wait on it just a hair, probably kept him out of the end zone. Uh, the second one, though, was a good, a, a really good throw, and Jermaine probably should have scored on it, seemed to kind of lose track of where he was on the field a little bit. But I thought Milrow played great. I thought the run game was really good. If if, if there was one problem, and, and, and I think calling it a problem is a stretch, I certainly didn't expect to leave that game with this crazy fact. Pretty sure the UT Chattanooga running back, the starting running back there, had more rushing yards against Alabama than any starting running back all year long. Uh, more rushing yards from the running back position uh, for, for one player uh, than, than Alabama had seen all year long. Now, Jaden Daniels rushed for more yards than that kid, but I'm talking about from the running back position, that was the leading rusher. Now, he did get a huge chunk of it, I think, on a big chunk play. Uh, 40-yard run. You know, yeah, and, and Kentucky got a, 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 a big run, you know, last week. So that's something that, that maybe we could worry in the back of our minds going into Auburn who has, you know, some some level of explosive play from their running backs that is Alabama getting in this habit of getting up, giving up a, a big running play uh, or once a game or so. But other than that, uh, it's hard to even nitpick with this uh, performance where, where Alabama is so uh, third dominated UT Chattanooga, which is what you should expect to happen, and they and they delivered. Yeah, they they definitely did. Um, and you're right; there are a lot of factors that play into it. The fact that you don't have your starting quarterback out there, and you're already at such a disadvantage. Uh, the fact that you probably don't want to reveal too much. Like it's crazy to think that UT Chattanooga is playing a top ten team in FBS. Uh, one of the best programs, if not the best program in all of college football, and they're being more vanilla uh, than they typically would be because they're not trying to reveal too much. It's very strange. Uh, but at the same time, that's kind of the way that it felt. I mean, there were several occasions where it's like, okay, they're punting the football here. If they were really trying to make as much of an impact against Alabama, they're probably not putting the football here, you know. Uh, and and you know, it was just it was kind of those kind of decisions where you just felt they're totally willing to go through the motions, get through this game, collect the check, and then hopefully make the playoffs themselves. And you know, all power to them. Everybody's got to approach it how they want to. Can't fault them for that. But it makes it really hard to evaluate Alabama as a result. You know, you got to admit that it was, all looked really good you got to admit that it was probably going to look pretty good regardless. I mean, just because of the talent discrepancy and, and things like that. But um, I, it's just like these types of games, it's good for getting healthy and it's good for getting ready for the home stretch. Like maybe you could have spent a little bit more time on future opponents than normally, you know, you, you typically would. Uh, Auburn, I think made that same or took that same approach and that ended up being a very costly mistake for them. New Mexico State's a little bit different than UT Chattanooga, though. So, um, and Auburn's a little different than Alabama right now, too. So that certainly matters. But overall, you know, Chris Braswell getting ejected. I want to get your thoughts on that because that's really interesting. There were some fans that felt like it was not targeting. I will say that was, to me, way more targeting than the Dallas Turner hit. And I don't really, really even think it's close. I think what really helps the Turner hit, if if he did make contact in the same area, which I think he was a little bit lower, but what made it different was that you had clear angles for Chris Braswell, and they couldn't get that clear-cut, undisputed angle 
because there was a, an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman for Alabama was somebody was in the way of the camera angle on the Jaden Daniels hit. So it was very hard to know exactly where he was. And what you're not going to do is toss the guy because you think he was up in that head-to-neck area. So with Braswell, though, there's nobody in the in the frame. There's a lot of different angles, and it did look like he made contact a little bit higher. And so he got tossed. I thought it was the correct call, but I can understand. I mean, there's a lot of people that feel like it wasn't. And if you don't, that's, you know, fine. Um, I'm not dug in enough where I'm going to say you're crazy, you're wrong. I just think it was more targeting than the Dallas Turner hit for sure. But that allowed uh, Q Robinson to get quite a few more reps. And he got some pressure. Only one of them was forced out of the two quarterback hurries. Other, the other one, they just left him unblocked, which is what they did with Chris Braswell too, which I found interesting. But, um, you know, so I think it was beneficial for Alabama to get Q Robinson a little bit of work. And just like he's done in a lot of instances where he's gotten opportunities, I thought he ended up playing uh, pretty well considering. Yeah, yeah, we're on the exact same page there as usual. Uh, I, I thought it was more beneficial for Q to play than than Brass. I mean, so there, there, that's no harm to Alabama. You need Q to get those reps because there's a possibility. It's not certain, but there's a possibility that Q will return. And if he does, you're talking about Alabama's number one outside linebacker next season, or at least going into the year. Uh, he's going to be considered the, the bell cow of that group, and he needs more snaps, even for – a guy that's listed as a senior, Q hasn't played a, a metric ton of snaps at outside linebacker with the starters uh, in his career. So he needed that work, and I thought he played well. I think he's a good player, and, 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 and it's my fervent hope that he does return to college because I think he needs it because I think he can have a pro career if he has more experience at the, at the college level playing with the ones. Uh, I, I feel the same way you do about the hit. Uh, I, I In my mind, it, the, it was more clearly targeting than the Dallas Turner uh, play against Jaden Daniels. I thought it was closer to targeting. I, I don't dispute that it was. Uh, to me, To me, those targeting calls are like one of three things to me, Clint. To me, it's like blatantly obvious targeting. There was one in the Boston College game the other night that I was watching that was extremely comical. That was the most – it was almost as if someone was illustrating what targeting looks like so they can play – it for the films that they show officials like okay this is this is what it looks like it's uh, never going to be that easy that's though. targeting no 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 it, it never will but that's like blatantly obvious okay throw that guy out of the game targeting <laughs> and then there's the borderline the hey i know how y'all wrote this definition and and, and that didn't fit the definition or that shouldn't be the reason for someone being ejected maybe you could call roughing but there's just the borderline that drive, and that's the what drives everyone crazy is the borderline. The the it's not clear, but they called targeting anyway. And third is just a targeting call that never should have been called that are usually waved off, and and sometimes they're inexplicably not. Uh, I thought this was that number two thing. The they sometimes they call that, sometimes they don't. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily even go so far as to say gray area. I would just say I've seen that not called, but. <laughs> I, I'm fine with that being called targeting. And I think number one for me, Clint, is uh, the difference in, in my mind in terms of how I saw it between the Braswell and the and the Jay, uh, the Dallas Turner hit on Jaden was Chris lowered his head. I, I thought Dallas kept his head up at all times, almost like Dallas was looking at what he was hitting when he hit it. Uh, I, I, I think Chris's head was lowered to the point that he was going in blind 
uh, and, and arguably leading with the with the crown of the helmet. So I, I'm I was okay with that. And again, it didn't matter. Uh, maybe I would take more closer looks and replays if, if it was against Auburn. But to me, it was like, hey, this gets Q more snaps, which Alabama needs and Q needs, and everybody's a winner here. And uh, and and I, I was okay with the call myself. And and it was significant in the sense that it was one of the things that happened. That was one of the more notable things in the game. Uh, but to me, the most notable or what I was most excited about was seeing the young players at the end. I was uh, super impressed. I've seen the replay a few times. Justice Haynes had a nice burst on his touchdown run. The initial burst when he took the handoff and, and immediately uh, – uh, you know, attack the line of scrimmage. That burst was, I felt, a level above what we see from the other tied backs. I, I thought, wow, that's that's got Jam beat, uh, and and that's got got Roy Dell beat, and and it might even have Jace beat in terms of that initial burst. And 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 that's what I look for when I watch high school running backs, and I'm, you know, evaluating high school running backs, and 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 thinking what I think about them and whether they're good enough to play it in Alabama, I would say burst is my number one trait. I think some kids are just born with it and, and it, it's not something you can learn. It might be something you can improve through strength and conditioning work slightly, but it's, it's a God given trait. And I think justice has it and uh, really looking forward to seeing him get more carries, probably a 2024 thing than a 2023 thing. But uh, I like seeing the young guys at the end. Through no fault of his own. Uh, the, him not seeing more snaps has nothing to do with Justice Haynes. That kid is talented enough. He's ready. And I understand that fans are frustrated with his lack, lack of work. You see all the time. And, but it's not just him. I mean, at the running back position, Jam needs to be getting more work. He deserves more opportunities. Look at that guy run. Uh, Justice deserves more opportunities. Look at that guy run. Uh, in the, at wide receiver, Kobe Prentice. How are we not getting him more snaps? Every time he's on the field, the guy's making plays. Uh, Kendrick Law, come on. How did it take us this long to really get him involved on in, in the type of role that he has? How is Malik Benson playing a ton of snaps and he's not getting more targets? He works his tail off as far as blocking. Reward him and give him more opportunities like you did on Saturday, even though it wasn't a ton. It was a career high in targets with three, and it was a career high in catches with three. Uh, it only resulted in 20-something yards, but he did have the touchdown. So that was good to see. But you look at him and you say that. You look at Amari in the block and it's like, this mismatch nightmare, how does he not have a more consistent role in this offense? He deserves to have a bigger role, a more consistent role as far as his usage. Uh, you know, C.J. Dupree making plays when you throw him the football. He's working hard as a blocker. Robbie Utes finally gets his first touchdown. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot there that Alabama has to – try to sort through it's a good problem to have you have depth at all three positions running back uh wide receiver and tight end and you've got guys who deserve more opportunities but well at whose expense because what will happen is is if Jermaine Burton is over here you know you saw what he did three catches for 105 yards and a touchdown he's doing some great things but then you say well we got to get Malik Benson some more targets and so now you know, you, you go two or three weeks without Jermaine Burton getting, you know, he's getting two or three targets a week. You're like, wait a minute, this guy was crushing it earlier. Why are you not getting him five, six, seven targets uh, at least every single week? Isaiah Bond, way too explosive, way too much of a playmaker. He's actually taken a little bit of a backseat. He's gotten the target share, but as far as his explosive plays and stuff, you haven't seen as much of that in recent weeks. 
and it's kind of coincided with the play calls and getting Kendrick Law more action as far as you know the the manufactured touches and things like that. So it's like there's no way that you can keep everybody involved, uh, or at least not consistently. And that's why I think you've kind of seen a revolving door. And I've been a huge advocate for doing, you know, condensing things as much as you can. Everybody knows that throughout the offseason, I was for it. I thought from a chemistry standpoint, it was beneficial. And you ha- I think that's why uh, you've seen Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton kind of be the top two guys at receiver is that no matter what else is going on and how many other players Jalen Miro has to build chemistry with, two guys who are pretty much, cl- you know, they're on the field a huge chunk of the, of the game and uh, they have built chemistry and they're getting the largest workload as far as the receivers, the most consistent workload. Those are two guys that Milrow has been able to build chemistry with. He knows them more so like the back of his hand. And so there's a comfort level there. And then everything else around those two guys and Jalen Milrow is kind of a revolving door. And it's just given matchups and given weeks. And it kind of seems like Alabama, you know, it's not the same thing, but it's a similar situation when they had the ride outs and they would play paper, rock, scissors to see who ran what route. They were all so good and could all play each other's roles so well that, you know, Alabama felt, if you want to play paper, rock, scissors to see who runs this route and gets this touchdown, fine by me. We're, we trust all you guys. It's kind of the same situation where I think Alabama trusts all these different guys that get involved in that revolving door that we're talking about. Um, and so, you know, there are certain weeks where they say, well, you know what? It's LSU. You know, uh, Kendrick Law's a Louisiana guy. Let's have him more involved this week. Or, hey, you know what? Malik Benson's played a ton this year, and we're not getting him any targets. I mean, every single game is either one or two targets tops. Let's get him a little bit more involved. Let's let him run this route and throw him a touchdown pass. It's like they know they're going to get production out of a lot of these spots, regardless of who's in them. And so there's not much of a, you know, there's no not much of a reason uh, to kind of force guys into certain roles or have that consistency or condense things, as long as you've got your two mainstays, which I think they have, you know, uh, I don't really see a reason to change things up too much, Jimmy. Yeah, you know, uh, there's one ball, there's one snap, and and you know, Alabama's playing fewer snaps this year. It's one of the things I was waiting to the end, uh, Clint. Uh, spoiler alert, but I was waiting to the end of the season. I want to uh, add up all the snaps Alabama has played in this year and compare it to not just last year, but I think going all the way back to 2018 when Tua took over, I think we're going to see, I think, and I don't know until I add it up. I really don't. But uh, when we add up the total snaps played and compare it to 2018 uh, forward, I think we're, I think we're going to see Alabama played dramatically less snaps this season than in previous seasons. And there's a few reasons why the clock rule, the clock rule is number one, but number two, Alabama changed what they're doing on offense. They're, they're, they're not in a hurry. <laughs> Alabama was in a hurry under Bryce, under Mac, under Tua. Why? Because the more snaps, the better. If you snap it 40 times, you might score 30 touchdowns. If you snap it six times, you might only score four touchdowns. I mean, literally it's just math. I mean, the more snaps, the more chance you have to score with those guys. I think with Jalen Milrow being an inexperienced, different quarterback than the others, it's like, Let's not get in a hurry here. Let's run the ball. Let's take our time. Let's not get in a rush and make errors because we're going too fast. Uh, I, I just think when you combine the clock and the different quarterback and the different style of offense that had a run game first approach, uh, there were fewer snaps. 
And having fewer snaps means fewer balls to go around. At the same time, Clint, that you've got fewer snaps, you've got three or four running backs you want to get the ball to. You've got seven receivers in the first team rotation. I think me and you have pointed out repeatedly, that's the most of the Saban era. Saban's never had seven receivers playing with the first team every week, but they did this year. There's also three tight ends, and not only three tight ends, really more than one that you're trying to get the ball to. Obviously, Amari Knobloch is going to be the leading receiver from the tight end group and have the most targets, but it's not like they didn't want C.J. Dupree involved or even didn't want Robbie Oost involved, and Oost scored a touchdown on a, on a catch this past weekend against Chattanooga. So three tight ends, seven receivers, three or even four running backs, and you're running less plays, and you're running the quarterback, which is something that, that you weren't doing in previous years. When you add all that up, Clint, I think there's almost an embarrassing lack of touches for some talented kids but there's just not enough to go around. It's no one's fault. It's no one, oh, that was criminal not getting this guy the ball. There's just literally not enough touches to go around when you throw in all the circumstances. Exactly. And so that's why, you know, this this conversation kind of went here because of Justice Haynes. Um, you know, I, I, Danny Lewis in the same situation, in my opinion. Like, he he's come in at the end of, you know, the UT Chattanooga game, and I thought he played pretty well. I mean, I go back and I watch him. And I'm like, I don't understand. Now, granted, it's UT Chattanooga, but I find myself asking, oh, why isn't this guy playing more? It's the same thing I do when I'm watching Justice run for a 40-yard touchdown, and he looks just as good on that rep as you can look at the running back position. And then you you, you realize it's the guys ahead of him. I understand that some people don't think that Jace McClellan or Roydell Williams have the same caliber of talent as the two younger guys. And I agree with that statement. I really do. And I mean, I've said that multiple times. This isn't new information for anybody, but they're productive and they're successful and they're able to, I mean, the, the run where Jace runs through contact and continues to pick up yardage. He's done that a ton this year. Roydell Williams, I think has been playing a lot better football as of late as a runner. I think he's seeing it better. I think he's making guys miss. He's got a great feel for the offensive line and how to play off of holes and blocks and, and just do the different things that you need to do to have success. And so you're watching these guys, and it's like they're seniors, and they're uh, they're good. And it's the same thing I said when I was making the argument that Josh Jacobs deserved to be a first-round pick a few years ago. I understand the situation he was in because not only are you looking at a situation where Damian Harris chose to come back for another season, and Nick Saban was not going to punish him and give him a smaller workload, even though I feel like Jacobs was the more effective back there last year. It was, okay, this guy came back for another season. I want to encourage other guys to do the same. If they would see Damian Harris as an example of a guy who chose to come back, he sees his workload diminish or decrease, and that ends up hurting his draft stock as a result that's not going to entice other guys to make the same decisions. So you have to keep him heavily involved. You want to, you don't even want to move him down the depth chart because that's perceived as a negative. Uh, so he's going to be your starter. Um, and he's going to see probably the largest workload because it was, even though I think Josh Jacobs was better, <clears throat> it wasn't like the offense was not nearly as effective 
with Damian Harris in the lineup. It was still very effective. And so it's the same kind of situation where McClellan and Williams, as long as things are, are operating as they should and they're doing good things themselves, there's not much of a reason to take a veteran senior player and stick him behind a freshman. And so that's not his fault. It's not Danny Lewis's fault that he's a young player. And they brought in C.J. Dupree, who's you know transferred in, expecting to have a big role. And you got Amari in the black emerging as a really big piece, a complimentary piece. And Robbie Oates is a guy who's been involved in the types of things that he provides your offense is a little different. You know, I think Danny Lewis's biggest problem, even though I th- he can play the move stuff, you know, he can be kind of that tight end that you move around a little bit. You can flex him. I think you can flex pretty much all these guys if you want to, to a certain extent. The type of role that he excels in the most is that inline player, and that's C.J. Dupree. So he's not really battling a red, another redshirt freshman and Amari in the block. He's not really battling a third-year Robbie Oots for snaps. He's battling the guy that they brought in, kind of promising a role to a certain extent, like you will do with any transfer. Transfers want to play. And you also know we don't have C.J. Dupree really involved in the passing game. So at the very least, we can't be taking away snaps and stuff because he's effective at it. So it's like it, through no fault of some of these players, their time is coming later, <clears throat> coming later, but it's not there right now. Yeah, and I think what some fans have to get out of their 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 heads sometimes is, you know, best player plays. I, I think that that's true. The best player does play under Nick Saban. Whoever the best player is, that's the guy that's going to play. What we're talking about isn't an exception to the rule. It's just the rule, and the rule being <laughs> – what has Jace or Roydell done to, to mirror losing their job? <laughs> they don't turn the ball over. Uh, they've improved at the one difficult thing that, that, that is picking up blitzes. That's, that's problematic. But it's not like the younger guys are going to do that any better. I mean, that, that, that's a difficult thing to do, and it's something that you learn over time, and the older kids give you a better chance of getting it done. But when an older kid doesn't do anything to merit losing the job, it's very difficult to make the switch, even though you might think the younger guy's more gifted. Well, I think that's what the situation is at running back to me, is that I agree that Jam and Justice uh, look like more explosive athletes and might be better next-level players than Jace and Roy Dell. But the fact of the matter is Jace and Roy Dell, they're good players. They're good. There is absolutely nothing uh, that, that, that hurts Alabama's football team with them being out there. They're good players and they haven't done anything to lose the job or to lose carries. Uh, Nick Saban recruits better kids all the time. And, hey, one day, and for all – this is what's so frustrating about the fans. It's like, who cares? It's not about anybody's feelings. This isn't literally best player plays. Okay, you're going to be saying the same thing about Justice and Jam a a year from now because there's going to be another shiny new toy freshman you're going to like better than them. I mean, that's a never-ending circle of uh, being obsessed with the shiny new toy. And uh, it, it's not how you build a team. One of the things about Nick Saban that we don't talk about enough, Clint, is he's very, very good at building a team. Uh, and, and the team that has goals that are team goals. Because it, can you imagine Alabama has more NFL players in their roster than anyone else does? This has been proven time and time again with each and every NFL draft. Alabama has the most individualized gifted roster in the sport if they had a team full of guys that was all me 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 and no one's roster is built anymore for that no one's roster looks any more like the me 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 roster than the alabama roster 
because it's full of five stars and full of high four stars and full of guys that would be the show if they went to anywhere else. But somehow Nick Saban gets them playing together as a team with team goals ahead of individual goals. And you know one of the reasons how he accomplishes that is because Jason Roy Dell are playing while Jam and Justice are waiting their turn. That That's how you build a team of people that defer to the older guy who's put in the work and everybody sort of waits their turn. Now, there can be special circumstances like at safety where you, where you have a Caleb Downs playing and not a Christian story. But there you don't have, you know, Jason Roydell are a really good football player. Christian story is fine. He's probably, just being all honest, based on what we've seen so far, probably doesn't have a huge pro future. That, that's what I would say right now, and, and, and they can sue me if they want. But I don't think that, uh, that Caleb Downs playing ahead of Christian Story is some sort of a travesty. But uh, Jason Roydell are good football players that have put in the work that are helping Alabama win every week. You just can't bench guys like that and build a team, in my opinion. And I think Nick Saban understands that better than anybody out there. Well, and what did everybody argue for? for weeks it was get Jalen Milrow more involved in the running game whether you're his design quarterback runs or his improvisational stuff where he's taking off on his own that guy needs to be running the football and so you had the two-man show early and you didn't see a whole lot of Jalen Milrow and I that's where I was on board and I'm like you got to get you know either Milrow more involved you got to get Jam more involved or Justice these guys need to be getting more touches but then when he starts taking on a much larger workload as far as your run game is concerned and you've been getting Miller more involved and now you've got a three-man rotation so you've essentially got four guys getting carries, where is there room for Haynes? And, and they, you hate that, but his time is coming because Jace is going to be gone after this year and it's possible Roydell could be gone. I could also see them asking him to come back uh fans need to go ahead and prepare for that i think he's going to be on a list of guys uh i could see malachi moore i could see you know seth mclaughlin's the big one we've talked about but roydell williams seems like a guy that i wouldn't be shocked if they asked him to return even though you know justice haynes uh you know richard young those two guys kind of envisioned a future where they were the tandem and they were willing to come in the same recruiting class because they're like we're gonna just, we're only gonna help each other we're going to take some you know with the workload and some of the mileage off of each other's plates but you know if you've got him wanting to get more involved next year and you got jam miller i mean that uh you could have another log jam situation uh and so we'll kind of see how that plays out but it's just when you're asking for milro to take on a much larger workload which i was very much on board with but i also mentioned earlier this year every carry that you're giving to him or that he's taking is a carry that's not going to a running back. And so you have to limit things to a certain extent. Uh, you know, and I think you make a great point with Caleb Downs and Christian Story. You listen to how Nick Saban talks about guys when he gets to, when he gets asked about them. Because he gets asked about Jace or he gets asked about Roy Dell, nothing but praise. Not saying he said a bunch of bad things about Christian Story, but when he's been asked, he's talked about consistency and he needs to maintain intensity uh, more consistently and things like that, and then he ends up playing in a in a kind of complementary backup role, a limited role where it took some injuries to consistently get him on the field, uh, and there's a true freshman working ahead of him. So anytime you're kind of wondering, and this is why I don't know what will happen 
as far as Tresman Marshall and Jihad Campbell once Deontay Lawson returns. Because when you ask Nick Saban about Tresman Marshall, he's saying nothing but really good things. And so what you know, based off of what we know about how Nick Saban operates, that would kind of point to now we haven't really asked about Marshall in in recent weeks, but I'm saying before, and you continue to see when Lawson was healthy, it was Campbell and Marshall kind of platooning that other spot. But but Campbell's been playing really well, and we're about to get to that. Uh, you know, but the the final thing too, I do find it interesting. You know, some teams like an LSU, you'll see Aaron Anderson returning uh, kicks and stuff, kicks and punts or whatever, because they know that he's not super involved on offense. So it's kind of your well, we'll give you this role. Who's Alabama's top guys? Kool Aid McKinstry, a starting corner. Uh, we thought. It was going to be Isaiah Bond, a starting receiver, who's one of the two main guys involved at that spot. And it's Caleb Downs, a freshman that's playing pretty much every snap, every meaningful snap on defense. Uh, the, Nick Saban just doesn't take that same approach as maybe another program would. It's we're putting the best guy out there. And if that's one of our top guys, I mean, so be it. Speaking of which, and we'll get to, you know, we, we're kind of jumping all over the place today. We probably won't be able to get to everything because we like to talk a lot. That's what it is. But there's just so many different storylines. And this, from the X's and O's standpoint in the matchup, this wasn't a great game to talk about. But I thought there were so many interesting aspects of it and that we're going to talk about because Devontae Smith seeing action, we're going, to get, we're going to get to that in a second. But before we do, I want to talk about Kool-Aid McKinstry and the fact that he was replaced as the punt returner. Uh, Jimmy, what were your thoughts on that? Were you surprised? Were you in support of it? Because, uh, you know, I, the coaching staff, I'm sure, did not want to bench him, but fans sure were ready to see somebody else out there. Yeah, I mean, I get the uh, uh, the loyalty, I guess is the right term, to, to Kool-Aid and giving Kool-Aid every opportunity to be the punt returner. Uh, we have to remember this wasn't a gift to Kool-Aid. This wasn't like, you're so good at cornerback and so valuable to the team, and we like you so much, we're going to make you the punt returner. No, Kool-Aid was the second best punt returner in all of college football last year. He was fantastic a year ago. One of the best assets we had on the entire team is Kool-Aid returning punts. What happened this year? I don't know. Uh, my best way to explain it is probably through through golf, which which a lot of you don't, don't follow or know anything about. But all of a sudden, the best player in the world can't make a putt and can't make a putt for months or even a full year. And, and now he's ranked 34th. And a year ago, he was the number one golfer in the world. And now he can't putt. That I think with Kool-Aid, I think it got in his head. And I think it was the decision-making as much as anything physical. It was fair catching punts that he should have returned. It was catching punts in traffic that he should have fair caught. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, not, not cleanly fielding the ball. These were all things that Kool-Aid has shown that he was fantastic with a year ago. Uh, and for whatever reason, he just got the yips, as they call it in golf, and uh, all of a sudden can't make a putt. Um, where I, I wasn't crazy about making a change is this, Clint. It, it, it's it's catching punts on the road in, in road games. It, it wasn't, gee, I don't want to make this change. We're about to play Chattanooga. It was, are we really going to put a new punt returner in fielding punts at Auburn where the intensity level is really ratcheted up, where there's crowd noise, where it's a 100,000-seat stadium and, and the fans are wearing different colors than Alabama? Uh I was really nervous about that. But like you and like everyone else, really, I thought when they changed punt returners, they would go to Isaiah Bond, who has kind of been the second returner almost the entirety of the fall. But 
ends up they decided to go with Caleb Downs. Now that they're going with Caleb, which was a little bit of a surprise, I wasn't shocked, but a little bit of a surprise to me. But now that they're going with Caleb, a lot of my anxiety about changing the punt returner is gone. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he he scored a touchdown when they gave him the opportunity against Chattanooga. It has to do with just Caleb's makeup. He's not from this earth. He's he's from he's not human. He's he's not a mortal athlete. Caleb Downs may be as good of a pure football player as we've had at Alabama in the Nick Saban era. And that and I realize what what that's saying. I mean, it's like saying he's the best Boston Celtic or the best, you know, Edmonton Oiler hockey player. I mean, Caleb is just an extraordinarily special kid. And he is equipped to handle this. Uh, almost no one else would be, even these special athletes that we have on the football team here at Alabama. Caleb is just a gifted kid with that plays with a ton of confidence uh, because he's so good. He, he, he's, he's just a great, great athlete. I won't be surprised, Clint, if two years from now, and yes, uh, praise the Lord, we have Caleb Downs for two more years. I won't be surprised in his junior year, Clint, if he's not playing some offense. Uh, I, I think he's the one Saban player that is so good. They're going to use him in ways no Saban player has been used. He might be the punt returner, the safety, playing star, and playing wide receiver all in the same game. I mean, to me, to me, he's that kind of guy, a little Charles Woodson-ish that way, but bigger. Um I just, like I said, like I joke all the time uh, on, on all these shows, Clint, we could literally just rename the show, the, the Caleb down show and just talk nothing but about Caleb for, for three years. Yeah. It it's, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, that you walk now, granted I'm a little bit more reluctant on the offensive role later on, which if I, I will say, um, if you end up calling that, I don't care how long it takes. I won't remember what podcast or ep- a video or what it was on. I will go watch hours and hours, and I will pull that clip, and I will say, this guy nailed it a lot sooner than everybody else. Um, but granted, I completely agree with the fact that he's going to get plenty of opportunities as a return man. And he, he is, a, if Alabama wasn't so stacked, like a Travis Hunter, he's like a guy like, he's, he's better than anything you got on offense too. So why would you not play him both ways? Without at Alabama, uh, you know, it's it's you've got plenty of really good players on offense and plenty of good, you know, receivers and every and running backs, which I kind of, uh, yeah, I guess receiver too, but I would more so even think running back than receiver. But either way, I it's so f- interesting how you took me through your thought process at the re- as the return man because it was the same thought process that I had, and it was it's late to make a change. You've watched the other guy fail. It was kind of like Tyler Buckner when he came in against USF at quarterback. It's like you would just watch the guy, no offense to Milrow at the time, but fail miserably. And it's like, don't do that. I mean, you know, you see, and then you, you throw in Ty Simpson and you watch Jalen Milrow fail miserably. And then you watch Tyler Buckner fail miserably. And then it's like, don't do that. And it's like, that's a lot of pressure, you know? So it's, it's you know, Isaiah Bond going out there and returning a punt. And it's, man, the other guy got benched, who was the second best punt returner in the country last year because he couldn't do this job effectively. I hope I don't screw it. And I'm not saying that Isaiah Bond would have that mentality or whatever, but it, A, Caleb Downs isn't even listed at, on the depth chart as a punt returner. It goes uh, Kool-Aid, it goes Isaiah Bond, and it go, if I'm not mistaken, it goes Cole Adams. And so Caleb Downs right, going out right. there was like, 
I, I wasn't expecting to see that at all. But he's the one guy that's this. I mean, he's steady no matter what. His his mentality. He's got that rare mentality, and I love that you brought that up because I 100% agree because that was what I thought. Even you would think with those concerns about making a switch and the pressures that would come with that, you would think throwing a true freshman out there would make that 10 times worse. And now you're really freaking out that that, that guy's not going to be able to handle it. And yet out of all the players on this entire Alabama roster, I can't think of one single one that has the, the mentality of Caleb Downs to, to the degree where you could trust. Now that doesn't mean that he can't make a mistake. Uh, but I will say not only do I, th- even if he makes a mistake, I think it would take a whole lot more for him to get the yips. I think if he made a mistake, he'd eat it and he, it would just, it wouldn't be affected by it. He's going out there for the next punt return and he's saying, okay, screwed up last time. Doesn't matter. I'm going to, I know what I'm supposed to do and we've moved on. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And that's what you want at that position. I don't think he's as dynamic of a, you know, or as electric as some of these other guys, maybe not a Kool-Aid, maybe not an Isaiah Bond with a football in his hands, but you're going to get cleanly fielded punts, in my opinion. You're going to get good decision-making, uh, and you do also still have that playmaking ability at the position, I and mean, that's why I think that's so critical is he's the perfect uh, replacement option given the circumstances and given the part of the season that they're in and given the – upcoming games against Auburn and Jordan Hare Stadium and, and Georgia and the uh, you know Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So, yeah, a special player, special mentality. We do praise him a ton, but all of it's warranted. Uh, but, yeah, good on him. And speaking of the defensive backs, uh, I thought, you know, Terry and Arnold played fine. I uh, don't think really – didn't really see anything bad out of him. Didn't see this, you know, anything that stood out necessarily this week. But Devontae Smith is the one that I find interesting because he got early run in this one. They moved him around a lot. They moved in, whether it was the offensive line, everybody kind of freaked out. Darian Dowcourt has come in for Seth McLaughlin at center. Did McLaughlin get hurt? And he plays almost, I think he finished the entire first half uh, playing center. And then next thing you know, uh, it's the start of the second half and, and Seth McLaughlin's coming back in at center. Darian Dalcourt's now at left guard. Tyler Booker's on the bench. They're trying out all kinds of different combinations, seeing what works in this type of game. Dalcourt's getting plenty of opportunities, um, you know, to get experience. He, he got all the experience at right guard earlier in the year. Now he's getting center and left guard snaps. That's good. But then you got Devontae Smith. He's playing safety. He was playing some star late. You saw situations where Malachi Moore was at star. You saw situations where Christian Story and uh, and Devontae Smith were at safety with uh, Caleb Downs at star. It was just a lot of mixing and matching in this game, and I find that very interesting because even though Devontae Smith looked a little out of sorts at times and a little bit confused, I think he's knocking some rust off, you saw the some really high-level plays out of him in this game, and he's got that versatility, more versatility that adds to your secondary. I think this that the defensive back room is already in pretty good shape, really good shape, actually. But when you add Jalen Key back to that, you're talking about a ton of versatility and a ton of talent and a ton of depth that really could help Alabama in this uh, final stretch. Yeah, I think if some might not remember, but way back in fall camp, Devontae Smith started making a run at, at, at being a first-team player on this defense. And had he never been hurt, I think it's arguable or possible that the full-time safeties would have been Caleb and Devontae instead of Caleb and Jalen Key. 
and 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 then Jalen got got hurt on two or three separate occasions this year and had to miss time. So Devontae would have played a lot, even if he didn't uh, start in front of Jalen. But Devontae Smith was a story in fall camp and then got hurt and, and lost for almost the entirety of the season. Uh, that, that was one of the few things that didn't go well for Alabama this year from a health standpoint, because to this point, Alabama's health has been pretty stellar. I mean, when, when, all things considered, yes, a few key players have missed games and some time, and maybe Milrow played a little dinged up here and there. But uh, overall, the health of the team has been stellar. Uh, one exception to that was losing a potential starter in Devontae Smith uh, back before even the first game. And now Devontae's just now back and cleared to play and playing. It's probably too late uh, to, to, to stick him into a real role. I think he's playing right now because Jalen Key is out. But now that Jalen Key is expected to return against Auburn and Georgia, I mean, I don't think there'll be a role. I think that the typical Alabama will return to its typical lineup going forward of Jalen Key and Caleb Downs as the safeties with Malachi Moore at star. I think that's what Alabama is going to do almost exclusively. There might be instances of moving Malachi back to safety. So Terry on Arnold can play star when Alabama feels like they need a better cover guy uh, in the slot. But uh, but 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 I think almost exclusively it'll be Malachi back at star, which means no room for Devontae. I think Devontae, the fact that he played so many snaps might be a message. You know, the transfer portal's coming up. Portal opens two days after the Georgia game. Uh, it might be a message. Uh, I might be reading too deep into it, Clint, but it might be a message. Hey, Devontae, don't don't think about that portal, man. <laughs> you are going to play a significant role on this defense next season. And that's why we're getting you these snaps now, because we're we're already kind of considering you a first-team player next year, uh, because obviously Jalen Key's out of eligibility, and Malachi Moore is uh, very possibly moving on to the NFL, may return, may go on to the NFL. But uh, even with Jalen Key just being gone, there'll be an opening at safety. And uh, Devontae Smith, I would say, is the odds-on favorite to fill that role should he stick around? So I think a lot of his snaps playing as much as he did against Chattanooga was, uh, hey, Devontae, we're, we, we, we're sort of considering you a significant player around here, not, not somebody that we're just going to put in in the fourth quarter to get garbage time snaps. Well, yeah, and I think that's, that, certainly, that certainly helps. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. Um, I view it more as it's what you try to do with guys early in the year which is even though you're blowing out MTSU, guys are playing much later into the game because you're trying to get their bodies ready. They get them back in condition. And so when, when else are you going to have an opportunity to get Devontae Smith really back in the full swing of things against Auburn? You know, if that ends up being a close game, you can't bank on you. I mean, unless you're playing him and letting him play through all those things and getting in better shape, and he's kind of vulnerable while he's going through that process. He, Alabama wasn't very vulnerable getting him all those reps in this type of game. And now you've seen all the injuries in the secondary. I mean, granted, none of them have been season ending, but Jalen Key, you've seen Malachi Moore, you've seen uh, um, uh, Tyrion Arnold's left games before. Uh, I, I want to say Kool-Aid McKinstry exited the game briefly. Caleb Downs was dealing with some sort of some, there was a rumor about him throwing up on the sidelines earlier in the year. And people were wondering if it was concussion or if it was him being out of shape or whatever. My point is, is that a lot of different things have happened to the secondary. So 
you want him to be ready to step up and be as close to being in mid-season form, late-season form as possible, which is very difficult to do at this point. But this was a good opportunity not only to get him involved without it being at the end of the game where everybody's kind of thrown in the towel and there's not a whole lot that you can take away from it. It's putting him in when the game is, I guess you would say, still in doubt, letting him play different roles. I, I think it served multiple purposes. But there's not a doubt in my mind that Devontae Smith is being told you're going to be a big part of this because I do wonder what's going to happen uh, once everybody's healthy. And I agree with you. I think they kind of go back to the standard and you might see, you know, Trey Amos come in as a perimeter corner with Tyrion Arnold sliding inside some and maybe uh, Malachi Moore dropping back to safety. You might see Devontae Smith come in somewhere. But will it be Devontae Smith is that sixth defensive back, or will it continue to be Trey Amos? Because Amos has played some good football. So now you're looking at a situation where even when you go down with six defensive backs, one of those two guys is going to be sitting on the bench. But, I mean, Jalen Key is going to be gone. More than likely, Kool-Aid and Tyrion are going to be gone. Malachi Moore potentially could be gone, even though I think he's going to be a guy they really try to pitch to get him to return. Uh but when you're losing that amount in your secondary, a guy like Devontae Smith is going to be a huge part because he was already starting to work in that starting role early this year back in fall camp. So he's already kind of used to those kind of reps, used to being a guy who needs to be taking on more of a leadership role. He has more responsibility. And even though he didn't get a whole lot of that in game action, uh, even though I think you'll get some down the stretch here, uh, you know, it, it's important for him to understand you are a big part of the plans come next season. A uh, couple of quick things. We only got a few more minutes here. We haven't really talked at all about, you know, Jalen Milrow. Fantastic performance from him. Uh, obviously, the conditions were set up well for him. I thought Ty Simpson coming in, really good performance from him. You never want to see him drop a football before he crosses the goal line. Uh, that cannot happen. And I think it's a learning experience for him. We'll see. But it's just that, yeah, that definitely can't happen. Um, and I did like the fact that Nick Saban pointed out that Caleb Downs didn't run that punt return back securing the football because that was my thought as he's doing it. You don't need to be holding the football that way. So the fact that Nick noticed as well and pointed it out, even in his post-game press conference, I thought that was good. But Milrow played well. Simpson played well. They got him plenty of you know reps and opportunities uh, late in the game. I think that's beneficial. Dylan Lonergan came in late. I thought, I mean, it's very vanilla at that point, but he did a couple of good things. So, Jimmy, what were your reactions to the quarterbacks? Yeah, another good uh, performance now. It's kind of what we expect out of Jalen, which is like the most amazing transformation, you know, now now that it's like, oh, he was, you know, 13 of 17 for 200 yards and, and a couple of scores. Of course he was. <laughs> I mean, it's like we we probably could have guessed Jalen's numbers before the game even started and come fairly close, Clint, I think we could have, uh, just simply because we know what we're going to get now from the kid, which is a heck of a compliment to make. Uh, I, I, again, I, you know, I, I've seen his name again today uh, listed among Heisman hopefuls. And, and I, I just laugh when I see it just because, wow, what, what, what a journey. But here's what I get super serious about this. I think this entire offseason, Jalen Milrow is going to be touted as a Heisman favorite in 2024 which is just fun and uh man that, that's something we'll talk about all offseason uh but I thought it was another Heisman 2024 type performance from Jalen Milrow 
And uh, I just look forward to a, a whole nother season next year of, guess what, him improving. He's going to get even better than he is right now. Um, Ty, to me, looked really good. I thought Ty looked good in his previous uh, times when he came off the bench against Kentucky. Uh, I, I thought it was Ty picking up where he left off. To me, to me, Ty looks ready. He doesn't look anything like the Ty Simpson of the spring or fall camp or South Florida. He looks in command. He looks sharp. He looks like he's playing with the requisite sense of urgency. You know, he has sped everything up without uh, hurting the accuracy. The throws are, are, are on the money. Uh, I, I think Ty looks just ready to play, ready to start. And hopefully Ty Simpson will return to this Alabama team next fall because I think he's a heck of a QB too now. I, I think he's ready to play and ready to win should he be needed. But it's Jalen Milrow's team. He's earned it. And uh, Jalen Milrow is one of the better quarterbacks in college football. Yeah. I mean, and okay. Some of the same people who are saying that making the argument about Alabama and the fact that, okay, I'll put it this way. This is probably a better way to put it. You see a lot of Alabama's a different team than they were in week two. And you see a lot of people not wanting to give Alabama credit for that. Here's the thing. Some of those same people who don't want to give credit for that or acknowledge that fact are the same people who are saying Jalen Milrow is playing like a Heisman caliber player now. And those two, how in the world can you look at him? Did you think he was playing like a Heisman caliber player in week two when he played Texas? And if you didn't think so, if you've seen that amount of growth from him where he, where he did look really bad, didn't look like a true quarterback against Texas, and now you're saying he's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the country or he's a Heisman hopeful at the most important critical position on the field, do you not think that that automatically makes Alabama a better football team today than it was in week two? And so it's it's you've got people talking out both sides of their mouth, in my opinion. Some people, some people say I still see limitations with Jalen. I still don't think he's this, you know, world changing, world beating quarterback. I think he's going to get exposed. Maybe it's against Auburn, maybe it's against Georgia. There are some people who are going to be on that train. But when you watch Alabama, the number one, the offensive line has improved, uh, defensive communication has improved. You've gotten a lot more depth you've got guys more comfortable but the number one reason that Alabama looks like a different football team today than it did in week two is the growth and improvement from Jalen Milrow and I would say a huge chunk of that falls on Jalen Milrow's shoulders and he deserves the praise for that also need to give Tommy Reese a lot of praise for that as well because you've seen not only him but Ty Simpson Ty Simpson disappears behind the scenes for a couple of months after that USF game he reemerges, and I'm not saying he was Jalen Hurts from 2018 when he entered that SEC championship game uh, because the, the situations were vastly different. The opponent caliber, the, the fact that they had substantial leads in the last two games when Ty Simpson has come in, you know, you're not going to fully make that comparison. But I, I remember thinking when Jalen Hurts stepped on the field in 2018, this is a different quarterback than we have seen at any point during this time in Alabama. Now, granted, we had a lot more sample size in, uh, of watching Jalen Hurts, but with Ty Simpson, I saw him step on the field against Kentucky, and he looked—he was had a better sense. The pocket awareness was better. He had such a different swagger about him. He looked confident. 
He knew where to go with his football. He didn't panic. He was going through his progressions. Just a completely different player, and Tommy Reese deserves a lot of credit for that too. But if anybody is trying to downplay how much better Alabama is as a team, start questioning what their thoughts are on Jalen Milrow and his improvement. And, and a lot of times you'll say, yeah, he's a 10 times better quarterback. Well, if he's a 10 times better quarterback, that was a lot of Alabama's problem early in the year. And so that naturally makes Alabama a much better football team. And other people will say, well, Texas is 10 and one. Uh, you know, do you not think that a 10 and one squad's a better team today than they were in week two? No, I don't. I think they're still a, a top team. I mean, but they were playing. It, that's not me saying that Texas doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs or that, you know, I, I'm not trying to discredit them too much, but I'm saying I think that week two performance against Alabama and the way that they played on both sides of the football and the performances that they, that they got from their entire team, offensive line, defensive line, controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, quarterback play was great. Wide receivers were making plays all over the field. The defense was rock solid. The pass rush was incredible. All these various things. I don't think we've seen that Texas team since or even really anything close to it. And so, no, I don't think they're a better football team today. They might be just a little less or maybe a, a, a quite a bit less. I don't think they're terrible or not one of the best teams in the country but I just don't think that they've improved from that performance. And I think Alabama is a 10 times better football team than it was in week two. Yeah. Texas is more of a veteran team. I mean, I mean that, that Texas team was ready to play its best game of the year in week two, because so many of their pieces were returning star players that were already proven uh, Ewers and worthy and Brooks at running back and, and Whittington and Sanders at tight end and that defensive line full of veteran older kids who were proven good players. The only real new star they had on the team was the, the freshman linebacker, Hill, who's fantastic. I'm sure he's got better Anthony Hill as the season's gone on. But uh, I, I think Texas was ready to play its best game in week two. That was the difference between Texas and Alabama. Alabama wasn't ready to play its best game of the year in week two. There were too many new pieces starting with the quarterback. But now Alabama's ready to play its best game of the year. They need to. Uh, two weeks from now, because that's what it's going to take. Two weeks in a row to, to beat Georgia, and and they'll they'll need to play well this week too, obviously, because you can't win an SEC road game against anybody if you don't play well. But Alabama needs to play its absolute best game of the year in Atlanta to give itself a chance to win. Texas was capable of doing that in week two. I, I I'm with you, Clint. Texas has not improved since week two. I think they were a difficult team to beat then, and they're a difficult team to beat now, but they're not any better. They're just, they've been good all year. Alabama became good as the season progressed, largely in part to Jalen Milrow's improvement and making Alabama's offense difficult to defend. Alabama was a lot easier to defend in week two. Now, Alabama's defense, that been, that's been pretty good all year. I wouldn't necessarily say they're a lot better today than they were in September. I think the Alabama defense has been pretty good all year. And that same defense that night against Texas held them to 13 points through three quarters. They had a bad quarter in the fourth quarter, in part because the offense sort of imploded. That didn't help. Uh, but uh, overall, this Alabama team is much better than it was. Most of the improvement is due to Jalen Milrow's improvement. And again, credit to Tommy Reese and the offensive staff. But uh, boy, heck of, a, heck of a season that Milrow's now put together, that journey. And uh, it's going to lead a lot of attention to him in this offseason. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of – I know I said it. I know you said it. I know 
a lot of our staff said it. I know a lot of national guys said it. And if you want to go dive into some research and kind of pull some receipts on some people, I'm sure if you put enough effort into it, you can find some people. But everybody, when they talked about the Alabama-Texas game, said, oh, it's worrisome that it's in week two. If this game was in week 10 or week 11, I'd, I'd feel a lot differently about it for Alabama. But the fact that it's falling so early on the schedule, they're still trying to figure some things out. Now, why would you make that comment then? But now you're singing a different tune because you knew that with Alabama's turnover and the fact that we were getting, you know, new quarterback from Bryce Young, new coordinators, a lot of different, not a new moving parts, a freshman left tackle, all these different pieces. You knew that in week two, they were going to be a, a still developing team compared to weeks nine, 10, 11, 12. And so that you would acknowledge it then. But now that it's happened, we want to use it as the talking point for, oh, well, it's head to head. And I get it. Head to head has to matter. But, I, you know, I, it's the same argument when uh, Clemson and Georgia played a couple of years ago in week one. It's like, I mean, these both of these teams are going to be two different teams at the end of the year. It's very tough. I mean, and we all, why do we talk about teams losing earlier in the year? And that won't affect you as much as if you drop one right here at the end. If that's important, uh, you know, then why is that? Because it's so far away, it's not judged as much because a lot of times the teams aren't the same. So, but now that we bring head-to-head into it, now we can't talk about any of these things because it's head-to-head. That's all that matters. And that's kind of my point. I'm not saying that it shouldn't matter. I'm not saying that Texas should get left out over Alabama necessarily. But um, I do think that there are some people where if you really went and dove into some of their beliefs and talk, because everybody, all the national guys were talking a lot about that Texas-Alabama game early in the year. It was one of the marquee games. You'll probably see some people that will talk about the timing on the schedule and how it's problematic, and why is that? Because you knew teams get better over the course of the year, and Alabama was going to have a lot to figure out early. That's my point. Uh, we've, besides the point, uh, we've talked a lot. We've jumped around here, kind of been a different field, didn't talk as much about the game, even though I think we spent the first half hour. Uh, if if you're free, um, probably going to get it recorded a lot sooner than Thursday because we got Thanksgiving and everything coming up. Might record it tomorrow, might record it Wednesday, but I would love to do a a, a true Auburn preview. We'll be doing, we might be doing Thursday night, Todd. Might move the day on that uh, depending on what Travis wants to do. Completely up to him. But I would like for us to just hop on and talk Auburn and Alabama. We're going to be doing the same thing next week. We're going to be reviewing the the Auburn game and we're going to be looking ahead to Georgia uh, in another video, uh, two separate videos. So hope, uh, you've enjoyed this one. Uh, really appreciate all you guys listening as always, Jimmy, I know I say it, try to say it every episode, but I appreciate you hopping on here with me because this is always uh, a lot of fun. Get to work some things out and it's always great conversation. Always blast. And, uh, even though we agree on everything that me, the way I look at it is, and since we agree on everything, we must be right. <laughs> I, I wish that were the case um, <laughs> i've been and i will we're gonna have a full episode and I, I said this last week and i'm not kidding i mean if you want to grab some of your takes i want to have fun with it i want to own the fact that there was so much that was up in the air there was so much that i was wrong about uh with this team and and i want to own all of it i want to make fun of myself i want to go tr- maybe try to pull some clips if i said it in videos uh at the end of the year, we'll be looking and saying the two most impactful wide receivers on this Alabama offense is Malik Benson and Kendrick Law. And it's like, <laughs> Law's certainly made an impact. Benson certainly made an impact. But I would say they're probably yeah. 
on down that list. I said there's going to be a ton. I said Benson would lead the team in receiving. I said Benson would be the team's leading receiver. Boy, I, that that that's near the top. I, heck, I said Jalen Milrow would start the year quarterback and Ty Simpson would finish it. I mean, I said that too. So I've 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 certainly been uh, been wrong. And uh, but hey, as long as I'm wrong and Alabama's better for me being wrong, 100% fine with that. Yeah, and we're going to own some of the things that we got right. We were going to take a couple of victory laps, but I don't want to be one of those people where we just act like I didn't say some of the stuff I said in the preseason. Let's just exactly. let's act like I'm let, let me go take my victory laps on the stuff that I'm right about and let me just ignore and hope nobody brings up the fact that I was talking about yeah. Justin Jefferson at linebacker and Earl Little Jr. at star and uh all these different things. It was a it was a tough team to peg. I, I will say a lot of stuff up in the air the and the I was talking about it with Charlie in the press box. The whole, whole Earl Little thing is just baffling to me because not only was he not a starter, but, I mean, how many different guys have you seen get hurt? How many different guys have you seen come in? I mean, he's like DB 8, 9, 10, something yeah. like that. So, anyways, uh, that's a topic for a different day. We're going to have fun with it. We're going to make fun of ourselves, and, and I think people will enjoy it. I'm going to do a written form of it too. Uh, but you never have to worry about us running from from our misses. Uh, so. Yeah. Jimmy, as always, appreciate you, brother. And we will uh, do this again soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.